O little town of Bethlehem. Lift your hand. All right, I see several hands. Do you know that was a, that was a Christmas gift to a church? That hymn was. Many years ago, Phillips Brooks, who was one of the renowned pastors of America, took a trip to the Holy Land. <clears throat> On Christmas Eve, he came to the little village of Bethlehem. And as he stood on the crest of the hill overlooking Bethlehem, he tried to visualize what it was like that night of nights when the angels announced to the shepherds the birth of the Lord. Emotions welled up in his soul. He experienced a, a great moving of God within his bosom. A year later, he was back in America. He was preparing for Christmas. And he asked God to help him to give something to his, Christ, to his church, something that would be worthy of Christ. And God gave him, just flooded his heart with the words of that beautiful hymn Bob has just sung, O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. How silently, how silently the wondrous gift was given. Still God imparts to human hearts the message of his heaven. Tonight I want to speak to you on the subject, is it Christmas already? Is it Christmas already? How many of you have heard that? Uh, people have said, you mean it's already December? You mean it's already Christmas time? It's hard to believe. I have a calendar here that we use for uh, <clears throat> our church planning. And here's January and February and March and April and May and then December. I don't know where the rest of the months went. <laughs> I don't believe they were in the calendar this year. And I've heard all kinds of people say, I can't believe this is Christmas already. Well, that's not anything new. When Christmas first arrived, the people said the same thing. Do you mean that this is Christmas already? That Jesus is here? In Numbers 24, 17, one of the famous prophecies of the Old Testament has this to say. I'd like to ask you to hold your fingers in Numbers 24, 17, and then turn and hold your finger in Matthew chapter 2. Numbers 24, 17, and Matthew chapter 2. <clears throat> I shall see him, but not now. Now these words are from a very strange prophet. His name was Balaam. Balaam. And he had been invited to curse the Jews, God's people. Because the king through the king in that land, Balaam, did not like the king Balak, rather, did not like the people of God. And the Jewish people were passing through his country, and he really wanted to sidetrack them and destroy them. And so he found this prophet Balaam as to whether he was really a prophet of God or not. Bible scholars are divided. He was what is called a seer, S-E-E-R, a seer, whether he was a prophet or not. For example, Gene Dixon today is called a seer. 
Not necessarily because she gets everything from God. Balaam was called a seer. But God was, was, God saw to it that the message Balaam gave to Balak and about Israel was put in the word of God. And so we consider it one of those prophecies that point to the coming of Christ. It's a very strange prophet. And I'm not going to dwell on him tonight, but on just what he said. In just one little verse from the Old Testament. And here's what he said. I shall see him, but not now. I shall behold him, but not near. There shall come a star out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel, and shall smite the corners of Moab, and destroy all the children of Sheth. Now, in my Bible, it's that far between Numbers and Matthew. And all through the rest of these pages of the Bible, the prophets were crying out, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here. I shall see him. Balaam sort of said it. Isaiah came along and said, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Micah added something to that jigsaw puzzle in Micah chapter 5 when he said, But thou Bethlehem, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come who is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old. Do you consider all that's in that prophecy? And the song that Brother Bob gave us is wrapped up in that prophecy from Micah. <clears throat> from Bethlehem will come that one whose goings forth have been from of old, even from everlasting. Well, who could that be? That certainly couldn't be one of the Maccabean boys of the interbiblical period. That certainly couldn't be Herod because he hadn't been forever. That certainly couldn't be John the Baptist who testified, I'm not the light, I'm not the one. Who was that? We don't wonder because we're on this side of Christmas. We're on this side of the cross. We know we've read the final pages. We know who it is. But they didn't know. And in Matthew chapter 2, we have some stargazers who came from probably Babylon or Persia. They had been watching the stars, and if you know the man Daniel in the Old Testament. Daniel had a tremendous impact on the kingdom of Babylon and Persia. He ruled, he preached, and he prophesied, and he was a court man, and he was the prime minister. You know, some people say, well, I don't believe politics and religion should mix. They don't know Daniel very well. Why, Daniel was the prime minister of the country, and he constantly was inserting his faith Constantly, he won Nebuchadnezzar to the Lord. And he constantly pointed how spiritual truths should be impregnated in these kingdoms. And so, so important was what he said that the people who were the wise men of Babylon and Persia never got over it. 
And long after Daniel had gone to heaven, men were pouring over his message. And I think that's what influenced those wise men to look to the stars in that spirit of expectancy, knowing that this was the time that Christ was to come. And the scripture says, now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem saying, where is he? Where is he that is born king of the Jews? We have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. Now here's what I want you to notice. These next few verses. Now when Herod the king had heard this, he said, is it Christmas already? <laughs> he said, well, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And he didn't know what to do. I guess he paced the floor and wrung his hands, and finally he thought, well, there are some, some people in, in, in my city that should know the answer to this. I'm going to call them. <clears throat> and he called the scribes, and he said, the chief priests and the scribes, and he said, now you tell me, where is this Christ to be born? You'd think they already knew. They were the ones that studied. But when he asked them, they said, you mean it's Christmas already? We don't understand what you're asking. Well, go find out, Herod said. And so they went back and they began to study their Bibles. And I don't know how long it took them, but they came on Micah chapter 5, verse 2. But thou, Bethlehem, Though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come who is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old, even from everlasting. And they came out and said, King Herod, we've got it, we've got it. This is the Jesus, the Christ that's to be born, and he used to be born in Bethlehem. Now that's all I want to tell you about that story because we'll get back to it at another time and you know the story very, very well. What I'm trying to say to you is, that all through the ages people have said, is it Christmas already? Is it the time to honor the Christ already? Is it time, is it really the time for us to recognize that Christmas has come? And there are various reasons why we ask this thing. Among those reasons is an uncertainty as to who Christ is. The Christmas hymn that we often sing set to that beautiful music of green sleeves. What child is this who laid to rest on Mary's lap is sleeping, whom angels greet with anthems sweet while shepherds watch are keeping? Why lies he in such mean estate where ox and ass are feeding? Good Christian, fear for sinners here, the silent word is pleading. So bring him incense, gold and myrrh, come rich and poor to own him. The King of Kings salvation brings, let loving hearts enthrone him. This, this is Christ the King, whom shepherds guard and angels sing. Haste, haste to bring him, Lord, the babe, the son of Mary. You mean it's Christmas already? Some have said these words because they feel that Christmas is so expensive. Is Christmas too expensive? That really is what I want to talk to you about tonight. Is it very expensive? Is it Christmas already? Do you mean that we have to dig in our pocketbooks already? Do you mean it's time for us to talk about the world mission offering again? 
Do you mean it's time for us to give Christmas baskets again? Do you mean it's time for us to go shopping and find some gift for a wife or a husband or children, people we love and so on? Is it Christmas already? Is Christmas too expensive? Well, in 2 Samuel chapter 24, verse 24, there's a little verse tucked away that I think should be a guide as we think about Christmas. And David said unto Aaronah, Nay, but I will surely buy it of thee at a price. Neither will I offer burnt offerings unto the Lord my God of that which doth cost me nothing. Now you know the spot of ground David was talking about? How many of you know what spot of ground that was? Now you do know, you just, you know. I'm going to wait for you to sink in just a minute. Do you know what spot of ground? One of the most important pieces of ground in the whole world. Do you know what that was? Anybody want to tell us? Or was the place where the temple was to be built? It was the threshing floor of Aaronah. And <clears throat> there had been a plague because David had sinned. And the death angel was passing over. And God said to the death angel, you stay your hand over Jerusalem. And David was there. He begged God not to bring that plague anymore. And God stayed his hand. And, God said, and David said, I'm going to offer an offering unto the Lord at this threshing floor of Aaronah. And he went out to meet Aaronah and he said, uh, Sir, how much will you sell this to me for? Now this is the piece of property that became the temple place. It was the same piece of property where Abraham was offered, offered Isaac. It's the same piece of property where later Solomon built the temple. It's the same piece of property where Jesus used that whip to drive out the money changers from the temple. This is the piece of property. And David said to, to Aaron, how much will you sell it for me? And the man said, well, I'll just give it to you. It won't cost you a thing. Be an honor to give this to the king. And if David had been skin flints like some of us, he'd have said, well, I'm glad. Give me, give me, give me. My name's Jimmy. I'll take all you give me. But David wasn't like that. David said, no, sir. I will not offer unto the Lord that which costs me nothing. Now in that, we have sort of an insight into the costs of Christmas. As we go into the Christmas season, there are going to be tired clerks, owners who work late, Sunday openings. Mothers and dads risking the upset of an entire year's economy in order to buy some beautiful Christmas presents. I think of the winter of 1775 when George Washington and the troops went out in the cold snow without enough clothes and no, not enough shoes to weather that terrible winter. And when Christmas came, there was no giving of gifts. It was just a prayer, Lord, help us to stay alive long enough to fight the battle. And they gave literally their life, their, their lives, their, themselves, 
on the altar of service. I think of our parents, your parents, my parents, who did so much investment in our early lives. I think of these words I picked up along the way. Is Christmas costly? Cost Mary and Joseph the comforts of home during a long period of exile in Egypt to protect the little babe. It cost mothers in and around Bethlehem the massacre of their babies by the cruel order of Herod. It cost the shepherds the complacency of their shepherd's life with the call to the manger and to tell the good news. It cost the wise men a long journey and expensive gifts and changed lives. It cost the early apostles and the early church persecution and sometimes death. It cost missionaries of the Christ untold suffering and privation to spread the good news. More than all, it cost God the Father, His own Son. He sent Him to the earth to save men. It cost Jesus a life of sacrifice and service, a death cruel and unmatched in history. It isn't too costly if, if, we reach out and receive what God gave us at Christmas. It isn't too costly if it means the hope of the world, if it means the forgiveness of sin, if it means peace among men, if it means joyous singing. Does Christmas cost us enough? Are we giving enough for Christ and a world in need? I want to respond to that question with four answers. You might want to write them down in your heart. And I hope you'll remember them as an important spiritual philosophy to base much of the future on. Number one, when we bleed, we bless. When we bleed, we bless. It was the preacher Jowett that first said that. When we bleed, we bless. In early American history, it was those men who were willing to go out and face all kinds of privation in order to preserve this nation. These were not poor people. These were wealthy people, that, but they risked all they had to pour into this America to build a strong nation dedicated to the principle that we could worship God according to the dictates of our hearts. I think of our early military men and those who went out and we honored them in thought and prayer today who did not come back. And there are some in this room tonight who had dear precious loved ones, maybe a son, maybe a husband, maybe a wife, maybe a father. He went out and served in the military, never came back. When we bleed, we bless. Even though the shock and the hurt of it stings to this moment, we cannot get over the fact that their bleeding is our blessing. I think of that oyster. They tell us that the oyster 
has a little, when a little grain of sand gets in the oyster shell, it hurts the oyster terribly. Great pain, terrible, excruciating pain. But there is formed from that little grain of sand in the oyster shell a beautiful pearl. When we bleed, we bless. Is it too costly to pour your life into another life? Was it too costly for God to send His only begotten Son into a world in order that we might be saved? The Lord Jesus bled on the cross that we might be blessed by His blood for the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. And without the shedding of blood, there's no remission for sins. There is no way, no matter how good we are, no matter how many good works, no matter if we work our fingers to the bone, there is no way we can honor or please God aside from the blood of His own Son. For all our righteousness are filthy rags. And we all do fade as a leaf and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. And it is only the blood of Christ shed on Calvary's cross that can bless us. You want a blessing? And get under the umbrella of the blood of the Lord and have your sins cleansed and atoned for by Christ. And he did it once and for all, but we need a daily cleansing, a daily washing. The second principle I want to present to you tonight, when we help, we have. When we help, we have. When we help others, we have. No matter how little we have, if we help others, there's something deep within us that we have that can never be taken away from us. When we help, we have. I think of a very precious lady who was manager of the Baptist bookstore in Louisville for many, many years. Her name was Christina Stockman. She has long since gone to be with the Lord. I had the privilege of knowing Miss Stockman in an unusually close way. She and my mother were dearest of friends. My mother worked with her at the bookstore for a long time. Christina Stockman had no family. She was like Lottie Moon. And she literally poured her life into the lives of others. During seminary days, I worked at the bookstore. I would work from 5 o'clock in the evening to midnight. Christina Stockman was always there and worked till midnight. She was the manager. And she'd get up and come early the next morning. She poured her life into seminary students. She helped by ministering. And sometimes when there were not enough funds, you'd find a little bit of extra fund in the pay envelope. When we bleed, we bless. And that pay was from her pocketbook, not the store. I think of Miss Iva Morris. Some of you will remember her. She was a dear lady that used to sit down on about the third row here, fourth. And almost all the time through the service, she'd, go to, she'd bow her head like that. And some of the preachers we'd have come in and say, who's that lady that sleeps all the way through the church? Well, 
our choir gave me a list of, no, they haven't given it to me yet, but they made a list this morning of 22 people who slept in church today. I want that list, Kevin. I understand you all were passing it up and down the choir this morning, so be sure I get a copy of it. Uh, and now, you know, well, not to go to sleep in church. This dear lady, Miss Iva Morris, Miss Iva Morris, didn't go to sleep. She sat there and prayed. That was her ministry. Many times after a service, if we had a visiting preacher, she'd come by and say to that preacher, now, uh, sir, there's only two places we're going to spend eternity, heaven or hell. Which one are you going to? <laughs> and uh, sometimes a preacher would be a little bit taken back. He'd ask me, what about this woman? I'd say she's the greatest prayer warrior we have. Thank God for her. She would go out on the streets of Bowling Green and hand out gospel tracts. I had her funeral. Some of her relatives are still members of our church. At her funeral, on the night before the funeral, all kinds of people came by, street people, wealthy people, people who were officials in our city, and over and over again, they would stand by her casket and say, I can never forget Ivan Morris telling us about Jesus. And several people were there saying, I'm a Christian because Ivan Morris pointed me to Jesus. When we bleed, we bless. When we help, we have. There is stored up in the riches of heaven great rubies and diamonds for the master's diadem through her life. I think of that story, Why the Chimes Rang. And you know about the two boys. And they were on their way to the big city. There was a tradition that at a certain time in the year at Christmas, <clears throat> the old chimes in that belfry would ring. But they would only ring in honor of the greatest gift given. It had been a long time since anybody heard those chimes. and As a matter of fact, it was such a tradition and nobody living had ever heard them. Some wondered if that ever was really true. Maybe it was just a legend. These two boys lived way out from the city and they had heard about it and they wanted to bring a gift to Jesus at Christmas. And so they both started to the city. And just before they got to the edge of the city, they almost stumbled over something in the snow. And they looked down, it was an old woman. And Peter said, this old woman's gonna freeze to death if we don't help her. And he said to his brother, here you take the little money we were gonna give to the Christ child, and I'll stay here and take care of this lady and he stayed there in the snow rubbed her hands and put his coat on her and tried his best to keep her warm and his brother went to the big temple in the city that night that church was decorated and beautiful and was packed and jammed and the king of the country was there and everybody began to file a by and give their gifts and uh, one came and brought his wealth and laid it at the altar. So I said, surely the bells will ring now. And finally the king 
came and laid his crown on the altar. And they said, if the bells will ever ring, they'll ring now. But there was no ringing of the bells. And finally that little boy, feeling sort of embarrassed, and he didn't have very good clothes, and he was afraid somebody would see him, he sort of went down the aisle unobserved, and he laid his little money on that altar. And all of a sudden, the bells began to ring. And everybody heard the bells. And out there where Peter was taking care of the old woman, the bells were ringing. And everybody in the church looked around and said, who gave that big gift? I don't know whether they ever found out or not, but I want to tell you when we help, we have. Thirdly, when we love, we live. When we love, we live. Hate brings death. Animosity, criticism, cynicism, all that brings death. There's a radio announcer that's a sad cynic. I wish that radio network could get somebody different. It comes on every afternoon. One of the radio programs says, who do you trust? And they announce his name. I don't trust him. He's just a cynic. And I want to tell you, when you're cynical about things, and you're critical about things, and you hate things, and you hate people, that's just nothing but a living death. But when you love, you live. When you love, and you give love to others, love come back to, comes back to you. When you love, that love creates love within and comes back to you. The Bible says, husbands, love your wife. In that particular passage in Ephesians, it does not say, wife, love your husband. It doesn't have to. Because when a husband loves his wife, he awakens in her that which will be loyal and true to him and return in love. When we love, we live. Last of all, when we give, we get. When we give, we get. I want you to turn your Bible to Luke chapter 6 for a moment. Luke chapter 6, verse 38. Jesus taught us this. Give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure pressed down and shaken together and running over shall men give unto your bosom for with the same measure that you measure it shall be measured to you again give and it shall be given to you you want to get give <laughs> now I'm not sure that that's the proper motive I don't know whether we ought to come and say well I'm going to get so I can give so I can get but I want to tell you it works the reason it works is because Jesus said it. He says, give and it shall be given unto you. But you try to keep it. And eventually you have to lay it aside. Over at these funeral homes in Bowling Green over the last number of years, I've stood beside rich and poor. I have yet to see anybody take their wealth with them or take their poverty with them. The only investment 
we can make is what we send on before. And when we give, we get. We give a smile, laugh, and the world laughs with you. Weep and you weep alone, for this brave old earth must borrow its mirth that has troubles enough of its own. The Billy Graham Crusades. People have wondered, what in the world makes them so successful? How in the world can people, thousands of people, come to those crusades? Well, here's part of the answer. In addition to the hand of God being upon that ministry, here's part of the answer. They spend thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars to get the attention of people. When they give, they get. Do you know what, Bowling, what Glendale Baptist Church ought to do? We ought to rent two or three of these big uh, signboards and put a word about Jesus and just say sponsored by Glendale Baptist Church. All across the city. When I was in the seminary in Louisville, <clears throat> there was the Ninth and Old Baptist Church. John Haggai was the pastor there. And the seminary students made fun of this. But John Haggai put his picture on those billboards all across Louisville that said God's, mes God's message, God's man with God's message. It was all across Louisville. And so I decided to go out to Ninth and Old, see what was going on. I could hardly get in the building. And that man started a six-month revival and had services every night in the week. And he preached every night, and the place was packed. And there were thousands won to Christ. When we give, we get. When we spend, it comes back. You cannot, you cannot get out of what God wants us to do without giving. There's no way in the world we can send our missionaries around the world without giving. And when we give, it comes back. Now we put this on a personal basis. There's no way in the world you can get the blessings from God unless you give Him your heart. You see, you give Him yourself and you're going to get so much more than you ever dreamed. When you give Him yourself, you're going to get pardon and purpose and provision and power, you can't outgive God. God will be no man's debtor. You give him the most priceless thing you have. Moms and dads, give God your son or daughter. Jim sang to us this morning, give of your sons to bear the message glorious. Give of your funds to spend them on their way. Send them on their way. Pour out thy soul in prayer to God victorious. And all thou spendest, Jesus will repay. I believe that. Greatest honor you could have, mom or dad, is not for your son or daughter to be a sports, uh, going to pro sports and pro uh, athletics and so on, as good as that is. And all of us have been excited as we've seen what's happening in the uh, Wendy's Classic and so on. And we're expecting the Anchored Eagles to win straight down the line. But I want to tell you, the greatest thing that could come to your life is not for your son or daughter to be an executive in a great firm. Or to be somebody recognized by the world, even to be president of the United States, as much as an honor as that is. The greatest joy and honor that could come to God and you is for you to give your son or daughter into the work of God. Give and it shall be given. Is this Christmas already? Yes, and it's time for us to start thinking about giving. Because when God loved, He gave. He gave His only begotten Son. 
And when you give to him the sticks of your life, he'll take them and make them and bless them and use them. I love the story in the Old Testament where the woman and her son were about to starve to death. There was a famine in the land and the man of God came and said, uh, have you got any food? And she said, well, I've just got a little bit, just enough for, to fix my son some meal and, and fix something for my son and me, and then we're going to die because of the, start of, the, of the famine. And the man of God said, you give me something first. You say, that sounds selfish. No, if you understand spiritual truth, that's not selfish. What he was saying is give to God first. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Give me something first. And then he said, the barrel of meal and the cruise of oil will never be empty. And she did as he, was to, as she, as he said. And she fixed him something. And then there was enough to fix for herself and her son the next day and the next day and the next day and for three years. This book teaches us that we cannot outgive God. And my friend, if you give God yourself, your energies, your creativity, your life, your talents, yourself on the altar and just say, here am I, Lord. There's a lot I don't understand, but I give you me. God will be no man's debtor. He'll bless your life and fill your life with joy and with a purpose. And he'll write your name in heaven and he'll pardon you for all your sins. And you'll be his and he'll be yours forever and forever. May we pray. Our Father, we thank thee for a lot of things we learn at Christmas time. Thank you that we can search the scriptures and find inferences and truths that remind us we cannot outgive God because God will be no man's debtor. We pray that somebody in this room tonight would open his heart to Jesus, that this would be a night of victory. And we pray that every one of us as children of God would say, Lord, we want to give you all we have and all we are on the altar of service. In Christ's name, amen. May we stand, please. What's our song number? Page 384. I can hear the Savior calling, take thy cross and follow me. 384, <clears throat> where he leads me, I will follow. 384, now as we sing this in a moment, I want to ask if there's somebody here who has heard God speak to your heart. You heard God. Beyond the words of the preacher, you heard God speak to you. And you want to say, Jesus, I want to give you my life. I want to give you my heart. Or I've heard God speak to me in some way, and I'm not sure exactly what he's saying, but he wants me to respond in some way, and so I just want to present myself before God. Would you do that? Would you come? While we begin to sing, who would just earnestly come and say, Lord, I want to lay my life before thee. I want Christ to dwell in my heart by faith. And I want God to have all there is of me. While we begin to sing, would you step out for Christ?